Good morning, Crossroads Church. I am John Gross. I'm a pastoral resident here, and I am America's favorite Matt Manning impersonator. If you're relatively new here, or maybe it's your first time back in a while, and you're wondering, why does Matt look uh, shorter, and why does he sound kind of weird? Let me explain things. I'm a different person. I just happen to have chosen the same baldness management strategy as my boss, which I promise is not a weird thing to do. All right. Um, today, I have been set up for success, kind of a weird way. It is my first time preaching big church in front of all y'all, but I've been set up for success because the thing that I'm going to be talking about with y'all is anxiety. And in fact, to really get in that anxiety type of headspace, I have been encouraged to consume enough caffeine to temporarily revive a dead buffalo instead of my usual practice, which is to do exactly the same thing because it's a day ending and why. Today, we are con uh, continuing our He Gets Us series. All of these things that we're going to be talking about in these four weeks are things that our culture deals with, that we deal with as individuals, and that Jesus has experienced and dealt with as well. Last week, Pastor Matt talked about outrage and how Jesus' way of radical kindness gives us an alternative to falling for the endless outrage bait around us. And today we're going to be talking about anxiety and we're going to see how Jesus offers us a different perspective that gives us what we need to be able to manage the anxieties that we all tend to deal with. Today is March 19th, 2023, meaning that exactly three years and eight days ago, the World Health Organization, okay, you know what, I'm not even gonna go there. You know what I'm talking about, okay. We all sat through March of 2020. It was terrible, and it was a time of high anxiety for everyone. The CDC did a whole bunch of polling in households and found out that about 45, 45% of the adult population was manifesting symptoms of an anxiety or depressive disorder in early 2021. We have been through a really, really anxious time. And now that the disease that shall not be named is kind of receding into the background for us, a lot of us are thinking like, okay, we are back to precedented times. We are back to certainty, kind of. Why are we still feeling anxious? And the reality is that, look, all that stuff that went down that had us stuck at home for a while, that was not the only thing in our lives and in our culture stirring up a whole bunch of anxiety. Right here, I've got a slide that shows a graph. This is the World Negative Experience Index, and this is taken from Gallup World Polling. And the way this graph was constructed is Gallup did a whole bunch of polls all over the world tracking negative emotions like worry and stress and anxiety and put a global aggregate together. And what you can see is right in the middle, there's this sort of gentle upward curve. That gentle upward curve does not start with March of 2020. That actually started in 2014. And based on this graph, we've been in a steady increase in anxiety since like 2007. Our world has been getting more and more anxious. And being in 2023, that hasn't really stopped. In Eastern Europe, there is war happening. And the last time war was happening at this kind of scale in Europe, it was literally World War II. Inflation 
is driving everyone a little crazy, especially if you're trying to buy very specific items like a car or a sandwich at Panera or eggs for some reason. China, look, I don't know what the deal is with China. I'm not going to pretend to know what was going on with that spy balloon. All I know is like everybody's feeling low-key anxious about it. And then the news is constantly giving us new reports of some kind of violent crime going on. And it's gotten to the point where like we hear about all of these tragic things and we, we just don't have the emotional bandwidth to really give them the weight of like another murder or another violence, another kidnapping, another shooting. We can't give those things away. So we just get numb to it because we hear about so many different things. Are you feeling that anxiety yet? A bunch of people are trying to figure out what we're supposed to do with the fact that artificial intelligence seems to get twice as sophisticated like every year. We have language learning models that can simulate human conversation. And so they raise these really difficult questions. What is knowledge work going to look like? What are certain types of jobs going to look like? What's going to happen when people can start to feel an affection for these synthetic relationships? I mean, I had a conversation with ChatGPT and I almost said, hey, I love you. It was super weird. And then there's the whole thing about the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Look, I'm not going to pretend I know all the details with that, but people are talking about it like it's 2007, 2008 all over again. Then we've got a lot of people feel like the country is just not on the right track morally, and we can't all get together to identify what the right track is and why we're off of it. But whatever it is, everyone agrees that we're not on it. And then, of course, there's all the stuff that you hear about with climate, with all these projections coming about, about what's going to happen if the global average temperature of the world hits 1.5 degrees centigrade above where it was in the 1960s, all these things that are even worse for if we hit two or three degrees centigrade above where we were. And then we've got a lot of other people who are thinking, no, 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 that's not the stuff you need to be worried about. What you need to be worried about is what's going to happen if all the folks overstressing about the climate keep on making all the rules. And so I know just by making mention of climate change, I can stir up a whole bunch of anxiety because I know there's a pocket of this room who thinks, oh no, here comes the finger wagon. And there's another pocket of this room who's thinking, oh no, here comes a willful denial. Look, just by mentioning climate change, I can raise the temperature of the room. That joke's kind of a slow burn. <laughs> I'll change the subject before the EPA bans my jokes. <clears throat> anyway, so all of that anxiety that we tend to feel about these kinds of things, that is symptomatic of yet another thing that we're anxious about, and that is our rampant political polarization. We, as a society, as a country, can't seem to unite about solutions to problems because we can't even unite about the nature of the problems that we're dealing with, much less a solution to them. Weirdly, the one thing we seem to be able to unite about is how bad it is that we're so divided. And then we have all of these personal anxieties that we're dealing with just to get through our everyday lives. I'm going to share with you a few of mine. One of them, look, I've been trying to step up my diet and exercise game. And look, that fills me a lot of anxiety because I know ways that that could just fail or I could get into better shape and then yo-yo back to where I started or even worse off. My wife and I are both full-time working parents. How in the world are we supposed to just like do that. Our kids are under five. What does that even look like? And then I'm trying to figure out what it is that I'm going to be doing with my life. This pastoral residency that I'm a part of it is a huge gift because it is a discernment period. But here's one of the things about discernment. You don't know where you're going to be at the end when you start. And I really like to know what's happening next. And I don't know what I'm doing a year from now. And I don't like that. And I know a lot of you are in this room and you're thinking like, yeah, John, okay, you've got those anxieties, but I got a lot of other things I'm worried about. I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my marriage. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about my parents, my kids, my family, and all of that on top of the things that the news tells us to worry about, like war and climate and AI and whatever else. And all of it is just exhausting. 
Every single one of you has probably come into this room carrying so much. So I want to invite all of you, just take a second. Just breathe in. Breathe out. One more time. Breathe in. Breathe out. Today, we're going to be looking at Jesus' teachings on anxiety. I want you, if you've got a physical Bible or a Bible app, open to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus' teachings on anxiety that we're going to be taking a look at today, all of these come from the fact that Jesus actually does understand what we're going through. All of those anxiety sources that I just mentioned, none of those are news to the God of the universe. Jesus knows your sleepless nights. He knows those days when your stomach is so volatile that you don't even want to eat. Jesus knows what it's like to have those days because he's had those days. And so when he teaches on anxiety, he's teaching from a place of knowing what it is that we're going through. So let's take a look together just at the first verse in this passage. That's going to be Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? My gut reaction when I read this verse, I'm going to be honest with you, it's not a real healthy one for a pastor to be feeling because my gut reaction is like, Jesus, I, I just had this long list of anxieties People were coming in the room being like, yeah, okay, those are a lot of things to be anxious about. And uh, none of those are on this list that you're giving us. What's the deal? Does Jesus actually get us? And then I kind of write myself, like the part of me that actually kind of, you know, is a decent pastor starts to think, ah, wait, 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 wait. No, maybe as a reasonably well-to-do American, you're lucky enough not to have food and water and clothing be the things you're worried about. Maybe your perspective needs a little bit of revision. And that makes a lot of sense because what we're dealing with in this passage, this teaching on anxiety, it's in the middle of a whole bunch of other teachings of Jesus that have to do with things like sight and attention. At the beginning of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about fasting and prayer, and the upshot of what he says is that you shouldn't practice prayer and fasting to look good in front of other people. It's not about capturing other people's attention. Then he goes on to talk about how the eye is the lamp of the body, and we're supposed to steward the things that we give our attention to. We're supposed to steward the things we give our attention to so we don't invest all of our hearts on material things that pass away pretty quickly. And then after this passage on anxiety, Jesus continues talking about sight when he says, don't be the judgmental kind of person who is worried about the speck in your friend's eye when you've got a two-by-four in your own. So Jesus is talking to us about where to put our sight, where to put our perspective. And what he's doing when he talks about this is he gives us a new perspective on our world that can help us navigate the anxieties that we experience, whether they're food, water, and clothing, or a lot longer. So let's take a look at the next few verses. We're going to take a look at Matthew 6, 26 through 30, which naturally, because we're talking about sight and attention, begins with the word look. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Let's see verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, little faith. And that word, oh, you of little faith, in the original language, it's actually just one word, little faith. It's actually deeply endearing. And I think it resonates with all of us because against that ocean of anxiety, sometimes all we've got is just little faith. When Jesus asks us to give our attention to these precious and adorable things like birds and flowers, one of the things he's actually asking us to do is to just take a look outside. And that's kind of interesting. I've got another graph to share with y'all up here. So this, again, this is taken from Gallup polling, uh, looking at people who are dealing with long stretches of anxiety and or depression. And it's a reported helpfulness of actions ranging from kind of casual things like talking to friends or family or more clinical interventions. And at the top of the list for the thing that is most consistently surpassing expectations is spending time in nature and the outdoors. So I think, okay, maybe Jesus is on to something when he's telling us to respond to our anxieties by just starting with a look outside. But I don't think that the reason why Jesus talks about birds and flowers is only that he wants us to have these soothing, pretty, adorable things to look at. I think what's going on is these ordinary, precious, simple things in nature show us nothing less than the kingdom of God at work. If we look at Matthew 6, part of that teaching on prayer that Jesus gives is he teaches his disciples how to pray. And the content that Jesus asks everyone to pray for is to pray for the kingdom of God, which is nothing less than God getting God's way on earth as it is in heaven. And part of that prayer is this famous line, give us this day our daily bread. That's Matthew 6 verse 11, I think. And then we skip forward about 15 verses and Jesus is talking about birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. They have no capacity for even the type of farming that was existing 2,000 years ago. And yet, God comes through with their daily bread every single time. When Jesus talks about looking at the lilies of the field, he says this thing that might be a little cryptic to us. He says, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. And you're thinking, Solomon, isn't he like kind of the, the uh, brooding rock star of the Bible with that book Ecclesiastes about how everything is vanity? Um, yeah, okay. But really, what Jesus is talking about by referring to Solomon is for the Jewish listeners who would have been the first people to hear Jesus' Sermon on the Mount like this, for them, Solomon was the apex. That was the high point of Israel's history to return Israel to its former glory is more or less to make it look the way it did in Solomon's day and age when all the nations were coming from all the world to see the God of Israel and to offer things to him so that Solomon's temple would become a global gallery of the nations who would come to obey the living God. That is Solomon's glory. It is the apex of design and architecture and beauty that humans can create. 
And what Jesus is saying by comparing the lilies of the field to them is he's saying to his mountaintop audience who may have even had a view of the successor to Solomon's temple just right in their, right their sideline. He said, if you want to see something even more beautiful than that temple that you're nostalgic for, all you need to do is just turn your eyes the other way and you'll see some flowers that dazzle you. And in fact, all of us, we are going to have that exact same opportunity very soon because when I get off the stage, our worship team is going to come up and they've got some wonderful music as they do every single week. The lighting is going to be really marvelously done. And you know what? All of that aesthetic beauty that you're going to have as you're invited to worship the living God, it doesn't hold a candle to the beauty that awaits you the second you get out those doors and see the Rockies standing there. What Jesus is inviting us to do is he's trying to show us that with all the little things in our lives, God is weaving a tapestry. And I know tapestry is kind of a funky word. Basically what it is, is it's sort of like a cloth collage that weaves a whole bunch of scenes into one giant story. God is weaving together something really big and all of those little ordinary things are part of it. And so what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to take a look at the ups and downs in our lives, our joys and our sorrows, our victories and our defeats, our moments of dread and our moments of sweet relief, those hard-won hellos, those bittersweet goodbyes. Jesus wants to take a look at all of it and see how God is weaving the whole into a tapestry. And that tapestry is magnificent. The witness of the rest of scripture tells us that the kind of tapestry that God is weaving is one where all the terrible things are undone where the shepherd who became a lamb will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes, where God and humans will dwell together unimpeded, where God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That tapestry is stunning. And Jesus dares us to believe that our lives can be part of that no matter what it is we're going through, because if at the end of the day, there is a place for birds and flowers and that tapestry. Then there is a place for people with just a little bit of faith like me and like all of us. And so, if Jesus wants us to look at our world and wants us to see the majesty of the tapestry that God is working on, where exactly does that leave us as we approach our anxieties? And I think what Jesus teaches us can be summarized like this. God holds the tapestry and just wants us to manage one little thread. Let's take a look at Matthew 6, 31 through 34. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What Jesus is telling us is, look, that one little thread in the tapestry, that is all you can handle. That's a really hard teaching for us to live into. And it's really hard for us because of one of the tragic ironies of our day and age. 
We live in a world where we as human beings are capable of things that we never imagined being able to do. Our surviving grandparents and our, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, the great-great-grandparents that we have lost, if they could see the kinds of things we have access to today, they would be absolutely amazed. They would look at what this little thing could do and they would think that is magic. And so we have access to this superhuman technology, superhuman efficiency, superhuman computer aids for our jobs, superhuman self-optimization. And what we do with all of that is we then hold ourselves to superhuman standards we can't possibly imagine, manage. <laughs> and so what happens is we put our attention not on the tapestry that God is knitting, but on a dozen threads at a time and wonder where all these tapestries are going to go. A lot of the media that we consume, it comes through a business model that views your attention as an extractable resource. And the easiest way to get a profit off people a lot of times is to feed them something that makes us anxious. And so we live in this world where we feel this constant pressure to come up not only with a solution to the problems that are right in front of us in the moment, but all of the problems going on all over the world, to have a right answer to everything that happens all the time. That's a superhuman standard we can't handle, and it leads us to a constant state of anxiety and exhaustion. Because what happens in those moments is we're not just trying to manage one single thread of the tapestry at a time. No, we're trying to carry the weight of all the tapestries. We got folks who are hearing about the approval of an oil drilling pipeline in Alaska and start picturing this tapestry where there aren't any birds and flowers to consider anymore because the birds have gone extinct and the flowers have burned up, at least in Alaska. We hear about the Silicon Valley bank collapse and start picturing, oh no, what kinds of economic disasters are on the way? Are our kids and grandkids going to even be able to aspire to the level of prosperity that we have taken for granted? And then <clears throat> we see all the political polarization going on and we think, you know, we're just going to be siloed away from each other. We're all going to be bizarrely alone together because we just can't talk to each other about certain topics. Those are the tapestries that we start to imagine when we try to keep ourselves plugged in to every development right as it happens every single second of the day. But what Jesus does, let's take a look at Matthew 6, 34 one more time. What he says is, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In our day and age, it feels like a strange luxury just to be able to focus on one day at a time. But that is precisely what Jesus calls us to. And in so doing, he wants us to shatter the idol of control and of self-sufficiency to which we sacrifice our mental health and sanity on a daily basis. What Jesus wants us to see is that, you know, maybe, just maybe, we are actually a lot more similar to those birds and those flowers than we would like to think. Because at the end of the day, we are not strong enough to carry the world on our shoulders. Every single one of us is constantly overtaxed in our capacity for handling crises and burdens and disasters. 
because we're trying to give our attention to everything that's going on in the entire world when really we are built to hold in tenderness just the people who are right in front of us. And so what happens when we give up the tapestry to God? What happens if we're like, okay, all I have left is this one little thread. Well, then all we have left is to do what Jesus talks about in 633, to seek first the kingdom of God. When we let go of this burden we manufacture for ourselves to manage the entire tapestry, all we can do is say, God, I have this thread in front of me. What is it that you want me to do with it? And so, as we approach the everyday situations we run into in our lives, we find ourselves having to give up the tapestry and just focus on the thread. So, you know, if there's some tragedy going on in the news, let me let you in on a little secret. Social media does not need another hot take. But you know what? There are probably people you know who are next to you who are rattled when they hear about random acts of violence going on, and they need your care and support in the moment. They need your prayer. There are situations going on across the world that you can't do anything about but pray, so just pray as you can. If you're trying to break a bad habit or make a good one, and look, my wife could tell you I struggle with this. I've got news for you. You are not tomorrow going to wake up with an elite level of self-discipline you have never once manifested in your entire life. This is a conversation I have to have with myself at least once a week. Maybe all you have is the next hour and the next day to let God give you the serenity, the courage, the wisdom to handle this one day. You know, maybe you're in a really challenging job situation. Maybe that managing the tapestry is trying to change your entire work culture or suddenly search under every rock in the job field for an alternative. But you know what? That's probably not something you can handle all at once. And maybe the thread for you is just to show up, have one good hour, one good day at a time. And you know what? If you need to, maybe throw out another job application or two. Can't hurt, right? If you are in any kind of volunteer or professional ministry, probably can't fix people. You probably can't be the one thing that changes their lives because that's the Holy Spirit's job. But what you can do is you can show up in the day and the hour when they need it. If you're a parent, you probably can't change the entire world for the good of your child. In fact, you probably can't even change your child for the good of your child but you can, as imperfect and flawed as you are, show up today and show the love that you have. Jesus teaches us to give up the tapestry and just to take one thread at a time because he knows that's all we can handle because he has had to do precisely that. The night before his crucifixion, Jesus was praying in a garden and he prayed a prayer it looks something like what we have here in uh, Matthew 26. He said, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And what he's saying when he says, let this cup pass from me, he's saying, this thread is so much. Only holding one thread at a time is absolutely overwhelming. I'm drowning here. But God, it is your tapestry. Move that thread as you like. And he says the same thing just a few verses later. 
My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Look, Jesus over here, he wasn't just feeling anxiety. He was drowning in anxiety. The flood was coming over him. And in fact, the way the gospel of Luke portrays it, Jesus was literally sweating drops of blood. Jesus knew the tapestry. He knew better than any of us the kind of story that God was weaving where his crucifixion would pay the penalty for sin that we deserve to experience. And as a result, it would be possible for us imperfect people to dwell together with the holy God because all of our sins would have been paid for. That is the kind of tapestry that God was weaving with the moments in front of Jesus that day. And to just give up that whole tapestry, and just to carry that one thread, that flooded Jesus with anxiety. Doing this, letting God take the tapestry, carrying just a simple thread, this is a really, really hard thing to do. But maybe there are places in your life today where it's your turn to figure out how to do that. Is your job situation one of those places where you can't manage all of it all at once? Is that a place where you need to give up the tapestry and just take up the thread of a day at a time? Do you have to give up and realize the fact that you can't actually change your kid's behavior? Maybe you have to just carry the thread of being a regular parent. What are the kinds of places where God is, instead of, for once, asking you to expand your imagination? What if God is asking you to let your imagination let go of this catastrophic tapestries that we all keep weaving and simply take up one little thread and just see what God is doing with that single thread today? I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. God, at your word, the cosmos itself stretches and swirls the pillars of the earth are yours. On them you have set everything that we see. Give us the peace, give us the courage, give us the confidence to trust that what you are doing is enough. Take the little bit of faith that we have to offer and stretch it day after day after day so that we can have what we need day by day to participate in the tapestry that you are weaving. Amen. Come to the point in our service where we remember that Jesus had his body broken on our behalf and his blood shed on our behalf. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having a Passover meal with his disciples and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat of it so we can eat this together. And then moments later, he took the cup of the covenant, the wine. He said, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take and drink of it together in remembrance of me. when we eat the bread and we drink the wine, we remember the centerpiece of the tapestry that God is weaving. That Christ has died. Christ is risen. 
and Christ will come again. Let's stand together to worship our living God.